0: All right, and welcome to Games Are Fun. I am your host, Corin. With me, as often as possible, is Tasha hey. and Ralph.
1: Yo, what's up, people?
0: I wanted to talk about um, Heimat der katastrophe. Wow, even for me, that was a bad German pronunciation.
1: Oh, jeez, what the hell are you trying to say?
0: But it loosely translates as House of Destruction. And they're a company that um, puts out these dungeon synth albums mm. on cassette. And the cassette? Yeah. Uh, this is all a nostalgia thing. Um, uh. The uh, cassette wrapping um, is a uh, an adventure. It has, like, a dungeon map on it, like, on the inside, and um, they even, like, stat out characters sometimes. And uh, you can also get these digitally, like, they sell FLACs and, um, like, a PDF of a little booklet. Ah, And, yeah, I am a huge fan of Dungeon Synth, and, uh, like, when I found out about these, I was like, oh, that's really cool. I don't have a cassette player and have zero interest in like starting a cassette collection um but then when i found out they had digital stuff i was like oh i want to i want to grab some of these so what i want to do is play for you and our listeners a um like sampler of some stuff so you can see what dungeon synth is if you've never seen it before think about uh dungeon synth as like a like a soundtrack for a
2: hell yeah
1: it sounds like regret that you don't have somebody with you who as a consequence of intrinsic racial attributes is able to sense minute changes in elevation
0: (laughs) i'm i'm just gonna parse that as uh old school you said you you said you thought it sounded
3: old school
1: (laughs) yeah it does sounds nostalgic appropriate and i will
0: say like for for that company in particular like they definitely are doing like an old school thing like they um publish their music and adventures as an osr product osr Mm. for those who are unfamiliar is old school Mm. renaissance and it's um, products that are being made today that have more of a uh, old school design philosophy behind Mm. them. Mm -hmm. But theoretically better math. Theoretically.
2: I believe you did send a a portion of this and I had a bit to go over and I thought it was cool but I didn't know what to do with it. If that makes sense.
0: Yeah. um, So I sent you um, the very first one that we heard but the full track instead of just a snippet and um that one is called um entering the dungeon and uh that's kind of what it's meant for is, is like when you enter the dungeon it's it's dark and creepy and but also kind of wondrous so like uh actually let me back up like were you saying you didn't know what to do with the music or you were saying you didn't know what you would do with the adventure
2: a little bit of both um so when you do have that old nostalgic music they specifically are hearkening though to a little bit of something video game-y and depending on the adventure you want to run i'm running at the time there you go uh that depends on the music i try to pick i sometimes like having either classical medieval sounding tracks or have something that's either just sort sort of adventurous music that makes it sound like either you're in a movie or you're um, or then just ambient music to sound like you're in that location. So it does vary, Um but I can see a point where I would want something video gamey. Like I haven't not done that. I have pulled far too much Undertale uh, for my battle music to just as <laughs> I wouldn't do that. But as an ambient sound i'm not sure
0: so uh you don't think that the tone of these tracks like really fits your particular games
2: at this current point in time i uh, okay. not saying that if i wasn't doing like a straight dungeon crawl that was supposed to have a little bit more of a video gamey feel that i wouldn't use it
0: uh yeah i guess i could see that and um i i think that the like osr um design philosophy tends to like promote dungeon crawly type stuff um so i think a lot of these albums are made with a dungeon crawl in mind about you ralph do you like a soundtrack playing while you're role playing
1: yes i think it's great i think it's a lot of fun and i think even in a game that isn't based on dungeon crawling music like this can be evocative like we could play this in city of mists we play it in necessary evil You could play it in some, I don't know, half-hearted attempt at replicating dead-or-alive extreme beach volleyball.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Hey, uh, uh, Fight exists. See? See? There's an RPG called Fight, where you just play fighting game characters. You see? yeah,
1: You know who I want to play. I want to play Blanca. That's all. I want to electrocute people. And I no, you want to play not.
0: Blanca so you can yell in unintelligible beast noises at people. <laughs> and claim it as an in-character thing.
1: <laughs> so, uh, in case so you all weren't able to tell, Corin knows me quite well. <laughs> well,
0: we did that. And it's funny because Tasha was in that game. Uh, there was a game where... Like the whole premise was like this guy had been turned into a goat by a wizard and (laughs) they like were trying to like go figure out a way to turn him back into a human. So they like followed him out and, and found the guy and the guy like immediately started turning them into animals. And Ralph's character got turned into a mandrel and because he still had hands, he grabbed the wand and ran it back to town and was like trying to get the goat to use it to like turn them back into people, and the the guy who was a goat was to, like c- like he can't talk; he's a goat. And so me and Ralph start yelling at each other in animal noises, and we just do that for like two minutes while everybody else in the room
2: laughs. <laughs> The the scary part was it was entirely, like, intention was conveyed. That's actually pretty true. We did a
0: fair amount of communicating in goat bleats and mandrel screams.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So, like, you totally
0: understood that the goat was telling you you were
2: an
1: idiot. (laughs) No.
2: Especially, it was like, I don't have hands. Like, there was a whole conversation, like, how am I supposed to use the wand? I don't have hands. And then it was just like, I don't know, you're the wizard. And somehow we got all of that while them just screaming at each other. Yes. <laughs> in non-verbal, or in non, like, w- there was no actual word use. It oh, was... man.
1: Oh, it was so satisfying because it was random chance. <laughs> Somebody got turned to a mouse and I got turned to a fucking mandrel. I had a red butt. Oh, it was great! I started throwing feces and slapping people in the face.
0: But yeah, so um, the so so this was kind of leading me into uh, the second thing that I wanted to talk about, which was like using soundtracks and props in your games, just kind of in general, not not like this specific product. But um, I made a audio prop for Ooh. City of Mist. Oh yeah. Uh yeah, and I showed it to Tasha cuz she's not in the game, so I I wanted her feedback on it. Mm. And um I also showed it to some people on a online forum. Um and like I I was less trying to like see if they liked it and more just like, "Hey, can you hear the person talking over the music?" that kind of thing. And um uh like I'll probably include this the clip I'm talking about in the, uh, uh, in the editing so that, um, people can have some idea of what I'm talking about.
2: It's good.
3: Hey, all you fine people out there. How are you doing on this beautiful evening? You know, you may not think this based on what we get up to here, but my mama used to take me to church every Sunday. And, you know, there's something that people don't get right. It's about angels and demons. See, people act like demons. They got horns, and hooves, and shot teeth, and claws like some kind of beast. That ain't the truth at all. A demon is just an angel who's doing bad things. Why don't you tell me? Are you a demon or an angel?
0: But, um... So, like, the the thing is, like, I, I... created that because like there's a whole tone to city of mist and uh like uh there are these intro monologues that you do at the beginning of each storyline and the last one i just read it um because it's just a person talking but this one was like i wanted to like kind of present it as like a lounge singer like doing an intro to his like act that that doubles as the lead-in for the adventure that's cool and i like that Mm -hmm. Yeah, so, like, I spent I spent some time, like, creating this, uh, you know, audio clip, and one of the comments I got when people were giving me feedback um, was one person who said that, um, uh, because I had specifically asked, like, hey, can you hear it? Does it sound like a good intro to this, like, mystery thing? Uh, he said, yeah, I can hear it just fine, but I don't really like stuff like this. Uh, mm. Like, I find props distracting and... Um, background music distracting, and I just prefer to, you know, have everything be a conversation.
2: Oh, I'm told totally the opposite, mm. but...
0: <laughs> well, I actually thought of that, because, like, you regularly use background music in your games. Uh, both, um, like, your online games, like, you'll get, like, a bot to play it on Discord, and then when we play in-person games, you, like, bring a speaker and, like, play music.
2: hmm I find background music is really good at filling the awkward silences. Mm -hmm. So it lets people not have to worry about awkward silences. Uh, Yeah, because you can't
0: edit a live (laughs) interaction.
2: Yes. Um, As a DM, there is going to be parts where you're just looking shit up and uh, background music helps with that. It kind of fills the void that and I think it sets the tone for places a lot easier than um, trying to describe it. Like, sure, you can describe a location, but then it makes this persistent reminder that, hey, we're in a serious moment. Maybe a little goof is good, but not full on stand up on the table and do something stupid. That's not that's not what the scene is, is aiming for. It, I think it guides the table all together in the same story element.
0: Yeah, I get that. Uh, you're, you're, you're playing a literal tone to set a tone. What about you, Ralph? You like, um, uh, lots of props or a little bit of props or throw the props in
1: the trash? No way. Only thing I want you to throw in the trash is a lack of fun. Throw those (laughs) rules in the trash, except for the rules in the book. (laughs) I'm down with music. I'm also really down with silliness, so... Uh, I, I play games to be silly, you know. Well, I guess I live to be silly. What am I saying? All right, let That's me true. let me respond yeah. a little differently. Uh, <laughs> I like props. I, I like it when uh, GMS or players contribute to a story and an interactive, uh, no, an improvisational performance with sonic, physical visual aids that help cement or anchor the perspective and the relevant themes i think music can be very effective in that regard because it's on a it can supplement the voice right it can supplement the things that you're saying the ideas you're expressing and it's hard to do that by saying more so can provide a little accent to it that you w- would otherwise be lost if you talk too much and in the same way If someone has a really cool prop, like a a fake gun in a Star Wars game, like a blaster, like Han Solo's blaster, right? Or a cowl. I'm a big fan of STs or DMs wearing masks.
3: Mm. Because
1: I think that can lend a lot of uh, intensity to the NPCs that they're playing. Cool. Yeah.
2: Yes, and there are certain things you can do with props that you can't do because you can do very unique poses or... Uh, quick reactions with props that you couldn't necessarily do uh, with dialogue, or feeling like you're interrupting someone else's movement because you can kind of like cock the gun while someone else is talking, but not interrupt them. You yeah, know? that's
1: true. That's a really good point. Yeah,
2: you can you can make an intention known without having to just disrupt the the verbal narrative.
1: I like that point a lot.
0: Yeah, I I think overall, like I don't tend to like make or um use physical props in my gming um but the times that i've interacted with them like as a player i've always found them helpful like i've always thought that they added to the experience we talked um it was a couple episodes ago about paranoia and like we played in paranoia games that were heavy on props and like those games just wouldn't have been the same without them (laughs) yeah that makes sense uh, and like uh just because i enjoy audio engineering and uh messing around with music and stuff like that like i like to try and design um little like in character uh like audio clips and stuff like that like that's something that i'm willing because it because it can take like three hours to create a one minute clip right mm-hmm. so you, yeah. you <laughs> You you better either really love doing this or really feel like the payoff is worth it. That's right. So, uh if I didn't if I didn't already have like an interest in audio stuff, I probably wouldn't be doing stuff like that. Yeah. Um but hopefully it creates a, a like fun thing for the game that isn't there otherwise.
2: I I always feel bad about not being able to have enough props because I, I really love props. So I, I'm i just bad about like the physical making of them. I think if I played a little more in-person games and I did things like have a deed to something, I think that's really cool. I would write that up. I know I did write up one contract where someone was making a deal and I did write up the contract. Um, granted, I used most of it from a template. Someone had a template online. I was like, thank you. <laughs> um and then filled in what I needed. But I I made the I made the contract and then I made it a jigsaw puzzle because that's how long it took them to decipher what it meant. So I could have mm-hmm. an in an in game measurement about how long it takes them to do it, um, as a physical puzzle. They happen to like jigsaw puzzles, so that's why I picked a jigsaw puzzle, but
0: But like rather than like just giving them the documents and whatever like, line of text is relevant to, like, the mystery they're trying to solve. Instead of, like, forcing the players to figure that out themselves, uh, you give them something they can do that doesn't require them to, like, know the laws of this fictional land.
2: Right. And in that particular scenario, I had part of the party split up. So it gave those particular members something to physically do while I was talking to the other half of the party. So they weren't just sitting there bored, if that also makes sense. be a good sense.
1: idea. Yeah, um, it's nice to give people something to do.
2: It. Um, and like I said, because I already knew my players, and I knew they like jigsaw puzzles. This was not like a, oh god, we have to do a jigsaw puzzle. It's like, oh sweet, a jigsaw puzzle. I'll just do this and listen to you guys talk. That's cool. Uh, I think that's that's the other caveat with props, especially puzzles. Is making sure you're giving the puzzles especially if you're, like I said, splitting up the party that way and you're leaving them there to do it, that it's something they actively enjoy doing Um, because I can see, I have seen props go sideways when it's some sort of tedious measure that is not enjoyable, not fun for the player.
1: Mm. In a very long 4th edition campaign, which was excellent, as I've mentioned before, One of the ways that the GM supplemented the challenge or the the difficulty uh, involved in skill challenges is he provided us with actual riddles and puzzles. Mm. So that was kind of one of his um, personal interests. And he was very good at finding examples of interesting enigmas and, and puzzles that we could solve collectively. And so it contributed a lot of variety to the game so, like, an example would be, hey, we're now getting a, a tower in the Shadowfell. And there are a number of things we got to deal with in order to get past it, right? There will be, like, a skill challenge that will then be narrated in the form of a montage. Once we're able to get through that, then there'll be some battles that we have to go through. And then if we're able to get through the challenges in the right order, we end up in one of, like, three different puzzles. So the puzzles will vary in difficulty and will suit our own skills differently depending upon how we do in the, the preceding challenges. And then, of course, in and out of character, we're solving this puzzle. And it added a lot to the campaign and to every session where something like that happened. It was really fun.
2: Yeah, I think I am a strong person who loves puzzles and games, especially RPGs. I think puzzle rooms are awesome. You just need to do them right because they can also Mm. go so wrong.
1: Yeah, that's a good point.
2: I think it's
0: always hard because... You know, RPGs that don't progress, uh, like are gonna feel bad, and mm-hmm. so if the players are stuck on a puzzle, mm-hmm. it, it halts progress, and that's something you have to figure out a way around. Um, and that's why I thought it was interesting that like figuring out what was relevant about the document is more about like solving a physical puzzle that you 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 know made a specific level of difficulty um and like if they really like for some reason they were like very bad at puzzles right like you said you knew your group was good at puzzles but if they were terrible at jigsaws you could choose to just be like hey we're we're gonna move on
2: Mm -hmm. and and you can just turn that back into the role instead of having it be the puzzle because the puzzle was just supposed to be an extra layer of fun not something Mm -hmm. that was supposed to stymate the game
3: that makes sense
0: So, uh, no, like, soft segue here, but, um, uh, Powered by the Apocalypse, uh, is it shit?
2: (laughs) No, I love it. (laughs) Is it
1: shit? Well, I can give you a good segue. What I was about, I was about to say something, which is that uh, I would imagine that it's challenging for you, Corin, to provide puzzles and certain props in-game, considering that you have a very improvisational DM style, Mm -hmm. which, uh, I have enjoyed thoroughly throughout our friendship and the times that I've been able to play, you know, the numerous games you've ran uh, that I've been able to participate in. So considering that, uh, now playing City of Mist, right, I think Powered by the Apocalypse again lends itself well or is it an appropriate system considering your own personal inclinations. Uh, I will stop there because I have some personal biases about systems like it. Well, well, so so the
0: thing speak. is though, I I know that you have some personal biases about systems like it and I want
2: you to yeah. talk about them.
1: All right. I was going to give Tasha an opportunity. I didn't want to steamroll.
2: I I haven't played this particular one. I just generally like the systems, um but I would love to hear more critiques about it because I just love it and want to hug it. Like that's my <laughs> that's my emotional thing to it, it mm. is is much like a stuffed animal or a small puppy. I just I love it well so real quick
0: before we get into what we like or dislike about it um why don't we all talk about our experience with powered by the apocalypse Mm. uh i'll start um i played so the very first powered by the apocalypse game i played was dungeon world back when it came out and dungeon world was pretty integral to um like apocalypse world and powered by the apocalypse uh Mm -hmm. gaining popularity because it uh, was specifically designed to appeal to the D&D crowd and mm-hmm. uh, kind of be like, hey, you're really familiar with this. It's just a different set of rules, but you, you'll understand everything else in here.
3: Mm-hmm.
0: And um, so we played a bunch of that. And then uh, I just, in general, troll the internet and uh, get tons of systems and read tons of RPG books that I never end up playing. So I've, I've read dozens of Powered by the Apocalypse games, because uh, a lot of people really liked Powered by the Apocalypse and started making uh, their indie games in Powered by the Apocalypse.
2: I think, so my experience for Powered by the Apocalypse is, um, I read the, the Monster of the Week cover to cover because someone told me about it, and I was like, oh my god, this sounds amazing, and I looked it up and I just sat down and read it. Then I ran a game in it. Uh, I ran two games in it, actually. Um, one was specifically Mystery Skulls, because I'm a <laughs> nerd, and and that's the one where I made the interactive mansion for. Um, and I did like full-on prop for that. Um,
0: and you were running it in Monster of the Week. Monster
2: of the Week, um, because they had the mundane. Be- mm-hmm. I don't know of any other real system that gives superpowers for just being normal which is awesome <laughs> like uh and i really needed that uh mm-hmm. for mystery skulls uh and
0: so i think it's kind <clears> of <throat> interesting to point out what that means from like a, a a detached mechanical concept which is that in a lot of powered by the apocalypse games there is uh an attempt for all the players, regardless of what their narrative um, power level is. Um, so, like, you could theoretically have people with magical powers and also have people who don't have magical powers, but there's a mechanical uh, flatness to the power level of the game. So, narratively, you might, one of you might be able to throw fireballs, but all of you have the same ability to affect the world.
2: Hmm. which for something like that was important and is very important for something that is well monster of the week um sure you have witches but they always make a point to say that you know you're still the heart or something of the team and you like are super support um and they gave like actual power to that instead of just having it implied um It's... That was fun. Uh, Then I ran another one-shot in it. uh, Where I I stole a monster from the internet. uh, And just ran it that way. And just used their... um, What is it? Dawn to Dusk? or I can't remember the full title. But it's their day plan for the monster. Then uh, my dad ran a game in it. Uh, He actually ran two games. uh, Because he ran... Uh, normal monster of the week, and it turned out to be Cthulhu because everything turns out to be Cthulhu. Anyway, <laughs> uh, it's an on it's an ongoing joke, um, and uh, then we ran the cyberpunk or not cyberpunk the um, the other one Shadow Run Shadow Run version of of Apocalypse Engine they have one and I'm forgetting its name, but we did that. Uh, and I'd highly recommend that if anyone wants to play Shadowrun over actual Shadowrun, if you, I mean, unless you like big numbers and like sitting out and plotting charts, (laughs) if you don't like that, then may recommend engine, uh, Powered by the Apocalypse, it's great, uh, they, uh, that one was also really fun, then, uh, they had a, a really intricate system for how to be a hacker, which was cool, and they they let you still have that you know, s- and Johnny Mnemonic entering the internet thing, but they did it in a very concise list of powers, so it kept it simple. Uh, but but you still got that interaction. It's also one of the most complicated power by the Apocalypse games we played, and somehow was still significantly easier <laughs> easier than a lot of other systems, um and what else oh right then there's the adventure zone which also their amnesty arc was all done in monster of the week so that was beautiful uh then uh monster hearts which i need to finish that episode but monster hearts from critical role was also done by uh powered by the apocalypse and that has so far been an amazingly fun time, just watching people play off each other and not even roll dice. I don't... I think they rolled dice once so far, and we're halfway through the episode. It <laughs> So.
0: Yep. Don't need to roll dice to have a conversation. Nope. Um, so, Ralph, uh, like, what Powered by the Apocalypse games have you played?
1: I have played Apocalypse World, and I have vicariously played various other campaigns and and games based on PBTA.
0: So a, a number of like podcasts, actual play podcasts?
1: Yes, indeed. And then, okay. like you, I have indulged my curiosity through reading. Most of the gaming I have done has not used Powered by the Apocalypse, partially due to my own biases about the mechanics. Sure. So and instead of biases, I might say preferences. Okay.
0: So, so so, what are your primary criticisms of Powered by the Apocalypse games?
1: Well, I'll first preface it by saying that in all games, every single game that exists, I think there should be a way for player characters to be explicitly powerful and capable of consistently succeeding without limitations in a particular area. And I don't think it should take a long time to get there. It's okay if that's not the case for everything you do but I, I think that that's a, an aspect of game design that I think should be present because we play games as a kind of fantasy. And I think one important fantasy element is that somebody is good at something. And by that, I mean intrinsically good. They don't have a, a random, they stub their toe and they fall on their face. I don't find that interesting as a story. I find it, the challenge is the things that they're not so good at, that they struggle with. But the things I, I think it's really important for me as an element of any entertaining story for there to be some aspects of a person's suite of skills that are somewhat above reproach or or incontestable i find it very interesting that way because what i find most interesting is how people were able to deal with the challenges that engage their lesser aptitudes so moving into my biases against power by the apocalypse with uh, 2d6 as a probability distribution, it has a nice measure of central tendency, meaning, hey, 6, 7, 8, right? It's pretty good, mm-hmm. right around the center. Yep. So you can be pre- reasonably certain numbers. you're going to get a 7. You're likely to pull those numbers. However, the problem with Power by the Apocalypse is it, you, if you get a 7 through a 9, you succeed with some consequence. I hate the fact that the most common result is success with consequence because I, I think that in order to get above that and get to a 10 through a 12, you need to have many different tags to accomplish it. And when you're a starting character, it's very hard to make yourself a specialist in one area without being incapable in the other areas. And because of that, I think that it is inferior to some systems like fate, where if you provide people enough points in fate, you can still have an absence of people being good at everything, yet, you have the presence of somebody being able to be exceptional in one particular area.
0: So, uh, I think I would counter that. Uh, I don't know that I agree that uh, being a specialist at character creation is uh, of like a right, right? Like is a is a is a thing that a player should be able to expect. Um, I think that's very determined by what game is being run, right? Like, less the system and more the setting and and tone of the game.
1: Well, I think um, maybe I articulated this poorly, but I'm not talking about player rights. I'm talking about what I find entertaining in a story. So as a consequence of us playing characters in the story, necessarily players would need to make characters that do that. Mm -hmm. So it isn't so much players need to be able to exercise their own power fantasies it is that I find stories boring when everyone is pretty good at uh, maybe a few things, not so good at a lot, but no one is really good at one thing. I don't find that very interesting because there's so much fiction out there. And I, I, yeah, it's like, it's not entertaining to me where people are failing a lot. And the odds are there's going to be somebody who, because of how they're built, they're not going to be very good at things. And so the dice don't support that. I'm, generally in favor of relatively forgiving mechanics and although 2d6 that measure of central tendency is nice to decrease the likelihood that somebody's going to get a critical one right the equivalent of a critical one yeah it doesn't increase the likelihood that somebody's going to get a, a natural 20 and that's the problem it's like i think it should be weighted more towards the end of people succeeding without a problem in some areas
0: I disagree with you on on sort of two points. Then, so so one is the idea that success with complications is not a success, right? Um,
1: but that's not what I said.
0: No, no, no. I, I know that is not how you phrased it. What what I'm saying is that uh, I, and you can feel free to correct me, obviously. Um, but I feel that you're saying that people should have a tendency to succeed without issue and i think that that isn't fair
1: <laughs> well that's not what i'm saying I, okay. i'll try okay. and phrase it a little differently i'm okay. not saying that people should generally have uh, that should generally likely succeed without issue mm-hmm. i don't think it's entertaining for a story like a Superman is just going around solving all the problems that are no consequences yeah what i find as a generally interesting theme is when each character has something that they're really good at or there are the presence of characters who are really good at something and they're just succeeding a lot. And what's very compelling to me is when they're exposed to challenges that don't deal with that particular aptitude. It isn't that, hey, every character should be good at everything. It should be that there is a mechanical way to support the theme of characters are having trouble because they're outside of their element. Does that make more sense?
0: It does. It does. Um I think my like what I'm what I'm saying is is that I don't think that um Powered by the Apocalypse fails at that because you do have characters who are good at something. Like if we're if we're just taking um like Apocalypse or Dungeon World as the mm-hmm. like basis, um almost all the playbooks have Um, a plus two in a given stat which means that you are uh, significantly more likely to succeed than not and while you might succeed with complications um, succeeding with complications still means success and the complications aren't generally detrimental to your character it's not it's not you're smashing your toe every time you take a swing with a sword it's when you fight with somebody, you're exchanging blows, not beating them without return damage.
1: Yeah, so I get that. And I understand the mechanical aspects of moves and the different mm-hmm. ways that an ST or a GM can choose the outcome or the particular complication they provide. And so that's that's the issue, is that...
0: Well, it's usually I, the player.
1: I, the player that chooses whether or not they get harm or they get... Yeah, like what what the outcome. complication
0: is? Like on standardized yeah. moves, it's usually the player chooses what the complication is.
1: Okay. Well, I guess perhaps I've been exposed to people running it a little differently. Okay. So, maybe the player is choosing maybe the player is choosing the complication. Regardless of that nature, it's still not satisfying the theme that I'm talking about. And so okay. uh yes, a plus 2 means that you say say you have a 58% chance of rolling a 7 on 2d6. With a plus 2, you have and, and a seven is, you know, within that range, right? With a plus two, you have effectively a 83% chance of rolling a seven. Right. So the issue is the the demarcation I'm talking about for success without complications, smooth success, is you should be able to have a 90% chance of rolling a 10.
0: And... and- and, and, and we, I think we disagree on that because I don't think you should have a high probability of a smooth success uh, as opposed to a high probability of success.
1: Well, that's what I'm saying. There's, there doesn't need to be disagreement about it. I'm saying I have a preference about a theme. And if there is a complication to your success, that contradicts the theme I'm talking about, which is specifically an area in which you're incredibly competent. Yeah. So that more often than not, you are succeed or not just more often than not, um, with very low probability are you experiencing challenges in the course of you accomplishing the thing that you're good at? And mm-hmm. I, I think that's a that's an element I want present in stories I read about, because that what I find interesting again is dealing with the consequences of being in circumstances where that particular aptitude is less be, is less good than than some other things you're dealing with. I want people to be good at their stuff, but I want there to also be a contrast. And so, because of a two d six probability distribution and how you're assigning tags, you cannot easily accomplish that without having to deal with relatively middling success in many other areas. You see what I'm saying? I'm not saying that players you know, are right.
0: i I one hundred percent understand your perspective. Uh, I just don't know that I agree with it.
1: okay. well, maybe you don't like that. Uh, it's like what I'm saying is I'm not saying it's right. I'm not saying this is how games should go. right. But, you know and I'm you also not press...
0: saying you're wrong. <laughs> like okay, I want to make that clear. Cool. like i I cool. understand you're expressing a preference.
1: Yes, and that's what I'm saying. It sounded like when you were disagreeing with it, you're entitled to not share that preference, right? But I wasn't saying games need to be that way or not. I was trying to articulate my bias and my perspective on PBTA in that it doesn't lend itself well to intrinsically provide the theme I prefer. And so there are other systems that are similarly... Mechanically. Yes, exactly. It doesn't lend itself mechanically well to that. And so there are other games that are better suited to that. Although I will say, you know, of course, there are things I like about PBTA. I like rules-like games, I like narrative focus. I like things that are easy for people to understand because I want more people to be able to play into a game. right? I want a game to be about a conversation. I want there to be options in choosing how a story goes, and I don't want the dice to always be the primary resort to determining how things proceed. But like fate is a good example where you can be rules light, relatively narrative-based, yet you, it, it, it accomplished some of what I'm talking about with the good measure of central tendency, and you can also have characters who are very particularly good at something, so that their their failure is unlikely, very unlikely, and yet there are other areas in which they're going to be challenged regularly.
2: Okay, I'm gonna take your run on the fate thing because my <laughs> experiences of fate does not do that, but
0: well, your your experiences in fate don't satisfy the ability to be good at something because that's specifically what he's saying,
2: mm-hmm.
0: fate fate allows you to do.
2: Yes, but then again, I haven't played as much fate, and I don't know if I've necessarily built the characters in such a way to to be able to get that specialization that he's talking about mechanically. Um, then again, I just have problems with fate, so.
0: Well, what are your problems with fate?
2: I haven't played enough, but I, yeah. I, I understand where you're coming from, from it.
0: Yeah, so... Uh, so sorry. Can you, can you, like, express your, your, like, discomfort with Fate? Like, what, what you don't like about Fate? Yeah, yeah, yeah. say, say again, what you don't like
2: about fate. I feel like the tags don't make any sense. Um, that's my biggest problem with Fate. I, I don't know how to, the, the tag system. I the, really um, don't like it. And of combat.
0: They don't, they don't call them, So you you tag them, but they're not called tags. They're called, um, man, why can't I think of it? Traits, right? You're
1: talking about aspects?
0: Aspects, that's it. Yeah.
1: you Your skills? So they're skills, right? You know, that you apply, and then the aspects.
0: Right. So you're saying that the aspects, um, the tagging, compelling, and what's the third one? Um, the like negative version of tagging. Mm -hmm. Do you remember what that's called, Ralph?
3: Talk
1: about consequences. Uh,
0: Well, what's it called when invoke, Mm -hmm. right?
1: Oh, yeah. Well, no. Yeah, I guess um, you compel a tag. A compel is like a reverse invoke. Invoke is when you are getting advantage of a tag. Compelling is when you get a fake point because you're going to be penalized by by the aspect. Not tag. Sorry. The aspect. So when you evoke an aspect, whether it's permanent or temporary, you get a bonus, right? Based on the strength of the tag, the power of the tag. And oh, you so often have to spend right. they, a fate point unless you maneuver.
0: They they turned it into two things instead of three things. Because it used to have like three words associated with it. And it yeah. was like invoking the negative version of invoking and then compelling, which was the GM telling you what you had to do. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, or so they offer you a Tasha...
1: fate point in exchange for telling you what you mm-hmm.
0: have to do. I don't mind right, right. that mechanic. So, so, Tasha, you you found the aspect system to be confusing, or you just don't like it? Uh, a little
2: calm a little calm, B. Um, Like Because I've had pre-built characters, which I've had an easier time m- using. But even then, I every time I try to be like, well, I'm good at this thing. And they're like, no, not really. And I'm like... Ugh. Okay, then what am I good at? I don't mm. understand. <laughs> what What do these mean?
0: So, so you would attempt to invoke aspects, and the GM would tell you that it's not an appropriate time to invoke that yes. aspect.
2: Yes, like all the time, mm. and every time I've played Fate, mm. there there isn't like a consistent like this tag means this thing, and that's that's the issues I come uh, run into with. Now, if there was like a list of things. That you could just this this essentially picking it like traits um hey, I'm an acrobat, which means when I do this series of events I will I will always have an advantage on that that mm-hmm. something like that to me is is necessary to stop these like back and forth with me in the DM because I don't understand what they thought when they wrote the character or they're not understanding what I thought when I wrote the character
0: yeah um. Can I quick ask, like, how many different GMs you've had for Fate?
2: Two, maybe three. I I'm, I'm think hmm. oh, I think I played a Fate game I'm, I'm that... forgetting, and then I remember two other ones.
0: Well, the reason I asked was because, like, that seems really inconsistent with my understanding of, like, how Fate is intended to be run. Um, because there's a lot of, like, stuff in Fate about the fact that uh like the 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 aspects are supposed to make sense if you think they make sense right so like you you saying i'm going to spend a fate point to invoke this thing like it should be a pretty rare occasion from my perspective uh that the gm is like oh i don't think that's appropriate to this
2: uh, again, I haven't played too many and I've played most of them like either one I played tried to play as a a campaign, but it didn't really last very long. And the other I played at a convention. So the two that I remember, okay. hmm. I feel I feel like I've played fate at least more than that. And I just can't remember that third time. And I just now it could be that third time was just a, a general yeah That was an okay game. And I just wrote it off. Um Uh, wasn't great, wasn't bad, and the other two were bad, and so they stuck. Um.
1: Yeah. You know, the thing about Fate is, when you're describing the aspects in a character sheet, you should be listing some general context in which it will apply to make it easier for the invocation of aspects in the future. So, what sounds like is that in situations where you felt confused about the use of particular aspects in certain situations, that there wasn't a good description for your benefit, especially if you're playing pre and that's not a good thing.
2: Yeah, it... Um, now, I did end up playing two games that were, again, kind of counterpoint to Fate because they were both mm. Fate Plus. Um, one was the, the Dresden Files one, and that was the convention one. And mm. uh, Mm-hmm. And then the other one was a mass effect hack for fate. Okay. Um so I haven't I can't remember playing vanilla fate. Fate. So uh
0: I mean to a degree there is no vanilla fate like originally it was um spirit of the century was their like default use of it but fate fate is intentionally a system that is not supposed to be Different between different settings because the mechanics are only intended to interact with the narrative and uh, not not be reliant on the narrative. Mm.
1: That's right. To us, to support it. You know, it's funny that what you're describing about the ambiguity of aspects when they apply. How you thought they they might be relevant in one circumstance and you just back and forth with with a dm that sounds like how i am inclined to describe common pitfalls with power by the apocalypse if there isn't a good standpoint you know for a person an interaction between the players and the dm or the one person's understanding of the system
0: i think i i honestly i think that that describes just two people having a a disagreement about the expectations of any system because I I feel like that description it, like is me arguing with people over D&D rules too yeah that makes um, sense which which obviously you know are intended to be fairly hardlined, but uh sometimes you you just disagree about what is being expressed in the in the rules yeah
1: that's true true I'll say one thing though the the, the advantage with fate is that you have skills and you have aspects that you can apply Whereas in PBTA, you only have the tags. So you have a combination of some things that are a little more explicit and ruled out, and then other things you can add in to make you a little more capable in more relevant circumstances. And so I think that's where, provided that people are comfortable with it, you have uh, a greater opportunity to have more consistent mechanical superiority.
0: Well, you do have uh, custom moves.
1: Well, no, I get that. You do the move, but the move doesn't in- intrinsically change the dice probability.
0: It doesn't change the dice probability, but it can change what the outcomes are. Um, so, like, your, your, your general attack action can be replaced by an attack action that gives you a, a, a greater narrative control over the attack
1: action. Oh, that's a good point. Okay, and fair enough.
2: there's some that will negate the middling. Because I think if you're the monstrous and you do an attack action, even if you get like a seven, you're considered to have a, a greater success or something like that. So you just automatically success, like complete succeed. Okay.
0: Yeah, there, there's occasionally uh, stuff that like says that um, like if you get a seven through nine, you never take return damage or something like that. Mm. Like there's uh, different different systems have created uh, different types of custom moves, some that just say like,, uh, you know, if we're doing seven through nine, here's this alternate set of possible consequences. Um, others that you know just say, hey, why don't we go up into the next bracket? Uh, because that's just kind of what's happening. Um, and even others that uh, like actually make that seven through nine worse because they're trying to make your your action more dangerous. I see this sometimes when people are trying to do like dangerous spell casting. Mm. Uh, playbooks mm-hmm. and things like that. So it's like uh you know, you need a 10 plus for the spell to do anything close to what you want uh versus uh you know, normal things in the system. It's like 10 plus is like an outstanding success.
1: Okay. That's a fair point. I accept that.
0: But I think I think overall uh I kind of want to like encapsulate this conversation because we're getting to the end of our time. Um with with the thing that like you the the fact that you you know, you, you presented this as this is my preference, right? This is why I tend to gravitate towards fate and away from PBTAs, because these aspects uh, like fit my playstyle or the way that I expect a game to work or the uh, the type of fiction that I'm trying to engage with. And it like we're we're offering counter arguments to those things and things like that, but it but your opinion is your opinion. And it's not a statement of this game is bad or this game is good. Uh games are fun because we play them with our friends. Right? Like it's not it's not the rules that make them fun, it's 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 the interactions we're having. That's right. And everybody's going to have preferences about the resolution mechanics. Uh so I That's very true. I just wanted to like sort of cap that off with this, like, statement of, like, you know, everyone can have fun in whichever game it is, right? Like, there's there's very few games that are so, you know, dense or unintuitive that, like, no one can enjoy them. Yeah.
2: Oh, absolutely. And I think that's why there are so many different games is not only do mechanics invoke different emotions, but different mechanical preferences will incite you know, different groups or have different, um, you know, pre- like just straight up preferences. Um, I gravitated away from Fate towards Monster of the Week just because, you know, partially my experiences with it. Yeah. So, and, 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 you know, I have a very, and I, I go in knowing that, hey, I don't like Fate for a very specific reason. This is why. Um, I have a bias, like I, I know I'm biased against it, so I try to approach it that way, in the same way that I feel, no, I'm biased towards Monster of the Week, just because I also love the genre, let alone Monster, uh, Powered by the Apocalypse, and I just think, um, I think, honestly, I'm not as huge of a fan of Dungeon World, I would rather just play D&D, Um, but... That's because I'm looking for those mechanics with my fantasy. So, I'm not saying that Monster of the Week is, is all untouchable and perfect, <laughs> but.
3: Yeah.
1: Even if you have a problem or a challenge with a particular system, you can always circumvent that by coming up with some custom rules. And that just reminds us that the whole point of gaming is to choose what makes sense for everyone who's gaming together so that you can all have fun. So, playbooks are an example of that. You can choose systems in which. People can have moves that effectively adjust the outcome, and so therefore, you know, the effective result is different, even if the intrinsic probability of 2d6 is has is remains unchanged. And that's the same way that skills and aspects of the work in fate just shifts things along the distribution a little bit. It's the same way it works in D&D when you have critical thresholds or you have bonuses to dice. Right? If you're just rolling a straight d20 you know what the probabilities are for hitting a particular AC. If you have some bonuses or proficiencies you can add, it changes that effective outcome. So I think it's great to remember that even if we do have problems or biases against a particular system, as long as we're game with people we really enjoy and whose company we really invite and, and love, that we can probably reach a middle ground where we can find some mechanics that support the stories that really entertain us.
0: And of course, all of this means the games are fun, so you should go play some.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
1: (laughs) Wait, do mandrels? Mandrels don't have red butts. That's just. Yes, they do. Male mandrels have red butts. Mandrels are particularly vibrant in color.
0: Well, I knew they were vibrant in color, but I thought
1: it was all on their face. Oh no, they got the red the red. they blue. have the like bright blue noses and stuff. That's that's true. Mandrel butt. Look up mandrel butt. I'm not gonna look I up mean. mandrel butt.
0: I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna be okay not seeing it. Um see yeah, <laughs> right there. Now you now you're gonna send me a mandrel butt
1: in Discord oh, or just something? Blue. Oh hold on a minute, let's see something real quick. Bamboo. red butt. Oh, the, we got limited time. <laughs> oh you know what yeah i see i see bamboo and butts are a little brighter red mandrels i guess are more blue and red together multicolored butts all oh, this is getting cut out you know that
0: right <laughs> <laughs> why not the stuff about oh, the man. story
3: the
1: story's staying in i'm just saying you all searching right.
0: for mandrel butts that's getting cut
1: out okay fine yeah okay so the mandrel butt it's uh blue and red on the on in an outline so okay, oh, okay. iridescent blue. all right yeah so very bright. colored.